0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, State Treasurer Robert Sprague and Representative John Cross join us to discuss the launch of Ohio's Family Forward program in conjunction with National Adoption Month. Also this morning, while we've been distracted by that other health crisis, addiction claimed 93,000 lives last year with a 28% increase in opioid overdoses. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, a welcome message of Christian support for women feeling the pressure to be perfect amid enormous stress of the pandemic, don't mom alone. And you need a little Christmas? The Hancock Historical Museum is already preparing for a new old-fashioned holiday season. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. Today is cliche day and interestingly it is also national housewife day (laughs) the word housewife kind of a cliche in itself so sort of give someone a dollar day today give someone a dollar uh national sandwich day and it is world jellyfish day as well so reason to uh, to celebrate uh, this is also and I thought this was kind of interesting very important as one of the first things to talk about here this morning it is National Sleep Comfort Month in the month of November did you realize that according to a new study you can increase your chances of sleeping comfortably by sleeping naked that's right. Uh s- Go to bed in your birthday suit. Uh, in surveying 2,000 Americans, researchers found that those who sleep naked versus those who wear pajamas were more likely to report high-quality sleep. And it's not even close, 53% to 27%. So That's quite a difference. Results from the study also showed that the average respondent struggles to fall asleep about three nights per week due to factors like worries about personal stuff. Uh, and discomfort in the bedroom, either being too hot, um, those who sleep in a warm room also sleep better than those who prefer a cold room, which is interesting to me because I've always heard that it's the exact opposite sleep experts say, keep the uh, bedroom cool. And I know from my wife and I, we prefer a much cooler bedroom to the point where in the summer, and this is a fact, um, we actually have now our home has central air conditioning, but in the summer we actually have a window air conditioner in our bedroom because we prefer the bedroom. So cool <laughs> that it's more efficient to run the bedroom air conditioner than to cool off the entire house all night long. Uh, so it, it we do it that way. But, uh, they say, actually those who sleep in a warm room sleep better. So kind of interesting, but, uh Those who struggle to fall asleep most often due to factors like worries about work, worries about personal stuff, kind of uh, interesting stuff like that. Uh, By the way, uh, we are originating the program this morning from the home studio, from the bunker this morning. Uh, One of the reasons, because I can sleep in a little bit, (laughs) what we are just talking about, Uh, when I don't have to drag my butt down to the main studio, uh, I can just... uh, (laughs) <laughs> saunter into the uh, bunker here and and do the show it's uh, you get a little few extra z's which is kind of nice also because i noticed yesterday it's just too darn cold i i'm looking at 30 degrees uh as we are getting things it's our first sub freezing morning 30 degrees and uh, i knew this was coming yesterday morning uh, when I was at the studio, every time I looked at the temperature, it kept going down. And we were getting really close to freezing <laughs> as the morning progressed. And I was like, this is not, go- not good. Um, they say we could get our first hard freeze. What, tonight? Is that what they're saying? Tonight could get our first hard freeze of the season. And you know uh, what that means. Cold and flu season is upon us. We were talking yesterday about preparing for... Uh, all of the dangers of the winter weather and uh, you know winter storms, that kind of thing. Well, now's the time to start restock the medicine cabinet for cold and flu season. New study shows that you might want to put some zinc in there as well. Now, for a long time, you've heard the advertisements for zinc supplements as a way to stave off the common cold. It actually is true, apparently. Researchers in Australia found that zinc supplements do appear to help shorten respiratory tract infections such as colds, flus, sinusitis, and even pneumonia. They looked at two dozen clinical trials that included more than 5,000 adults, and they found that people who took zinc saw symptoms clear up two days earlier on average than those who took a placebo in the control group. The uh, author's of the study also note that patients who use nasal spray or sublingual zinc were nearly twice as likely to recover during the first week of illness as those who used a placebo. Uh, now, some uncertainty remains in terms of dosage, but Dr. Len Horovitz, pulmonologist at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, says, quote, the usual recommendation is 25 milligrams of zinc daily. So now you know interesting. Uh again speaking of uh winter storms and so on again we were talking about this uh, yesterday. A new study suggests that uh, natural disasters could actually have a positive impact on your relationship at least in the short term. Now they weren't looking specifically at winter storms. They were actually examining hurricanes and wildfires and things like that, but by extension they say natural disasters, big-time natural disasters, so it could be anything from a hurricane to a blizzard or anything in between, Uh, researchers at the University of Texas at Austin interviewed 231 newlywed couples prior to Hurricane Harvey hitting Texas in 2017. The team originally set out to study the effects of everyday stressors, such as financial problems, and the tradition, uh, transition to parenthood. But after Hurricane Harvey, they re-interviewed couple, couples about their relationship satisfaction, and they found that those couples appreciated their partners even more after being jolted out of the day-to-day stress of life. So, interesting findings that they didn't necessarily expect to find. But the biggest increase in relationship satisfaction occurred in couples who were most unhappy before the hurricane hit, and... That kind of jolted them back into reality, I guess. Unfortunately, the boost was not permanent as couples returned to pre-hurricane levels of satisfaction within a year, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, Let's see. Oh, and how about this? Among the first things you need to know to get your morning started. It is another sign that we all have to grow up Sometime a shore town in New Jersey town in New Jersey, along the shore is getting a facelift following its fame as a raucous MTV hotspot. The bamboo bar was a mainstay on MTV's Jersey shore series back in the day, but it has now been torn down and the developer hopes to revitalize the community. Now you remember the Jersey shore, perhaps. I mean, if you were a child of the nineties, so this is actually a little bit before or a little bit after my time. I grew up uh, earlier and I was when Jersey shore was on, I never really got into it, but those who were probably in their forties or so probably remember the Jersey shore fondly. It was a big hit on MTV for a number of years and the bamboo bar Uh, which is that mainstay of the show has been torn down and owner Izzy Linder says the new venue that will replace the bamboo bar will include nearly 50 luxury condominium units along with retail space, a swimming pool and recreation area and so on. Now in a nod to its former life, the space will be called the lofts at bamboo with seaside heights Mayor Tony Vaz backing the district's beautification overall to include fine dining hotels and a walking boulevard. (laughs) So it's going to get a second life, but a much different kind of life uh, than what it was previously famous for. And you look at that and I'm thinking a lot of people are probably bemoaning the fact that a very, very, uh, iconic part of their childhood <laughs> has, has gone away now. But again, it's just a sign of the times and a, a sign that we uh, all have to grow up sometime, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started.
1: WFIN News. I'm Matt Mcheck. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly sunny today with a high of 45. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 31. The Interstate 75 southbound exit ramp to US 68, State Route 15 and Lima Avenue in Findlay will be closing for a project to improve surface friction on the ramp. The Ohio Department of Transportation says the ramp will be closed for several hours today for pavement grinding to improve friction and skid resistance. Also, Chevron signs will be added to the curves of the ramp. ODOT recently said they'd be looking into what could be done to lessen the number of crashes on the flyover ramp. There have been a number of crashes on the ramp since it opened, particularly in wet weather. Drivers are being reminded to slow down when approaching the ramp and to not take it too fast, especially in wet weather. A proposed bill in the Ohio House would eliminate the requirement for a concealed carry permit.
0: The legislation sponsored by House Republicans Tom Brinker and Chris Jordan would also end the requirement that individuals promptly inform police officers that they're carrying a concealed weapon. The bill requires only that individuals provide such information if asked by an officer. The GOP-controlled House Government Oversight Committee approved the bill along party lines last week. A similar bill is pending in the Ohio Senate. Law enforcement groups opposed the measure, concerned about the legislation's lack of required training. Daniel Barnett, ONN News.
1: Marathon Petroleum is reporting a net income of $694 million for the third quarter. That's a big improvement from a year ago when the company reported a net loss of $886 million for the third quarter of 2020. President and CEO Michael Hennigan said in the third quarter, Marathon advanced several key initiatives while remaining committed to improving the aspects of the business within their control. The Cleveland Indian script is coming down from Progressive Field. The painstaking removal process began on Tuesday morning. Officials say it will take several days to complete. It's unclear what will become of the script, but for now it will move to storage. The team changed its name to the Guardians and chose that name because of the connection to the Cleveland landmark, the Hope Memorial Bridge, where the Guardians of Traffic have become a symbol of the city's resiliency. Give more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demcheck with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: And now to our cover story this morning. The month of November is National Adoption Month, so it is very timely that... The state of Ohio has just launched a new Family Forward program to help Ohio families adopt, make it easier uh, to do that. And yesterday afternoon, State Treasurer Robert Sprague and State Representative John Cross joined us in the studio to talk about this new program. Robert, I'll start with you, actually. Talk a little bit about what this is and what it does, kind of in general terms. Uh, well, it really, this kind of
2: started when we talked with the family, and they told us that their adoption costs for a private adoption were between forty dollars to $50,000. Wow. And we have a, a great link deposit program in the treasurer's office, and we thought, hey, is there a way that we could use our balance sheet to help lower the cost for these families that would want to adopt? Um, and that's where Representative Cross came in, and uh, we started working on this concept together.
0: I know that this, the, the origins of this uh, actually go back to, this is something you've been championing since the time that you arrived uh, in Columbus from, from you know, your service locally uh, in the state legislature. So this has been kind of a, a long time in developing, a long time in coming.
2: It has uh, and it's just now that we have a $20 billion dollar balance sheet that we have
0: <laughs> that I'm in, that not. I'm in charge of. and
2: uh, <laughs> so we're figuring out ways to leverage that and use that you know to the, to the benefit of, of families. And one of the things that we wanted to do is really pledge our office. Uh, And our ideas to help improve the lives of Ohioans, and we think that this is one way to do that.
0: I I was going to mention, uh, once uh, Mr. Sprague moved uh, into the executive position as state treasurer, uh, John, you really kind of picked up the ball and uh, ran with this idea.
3: Well, he's certainly the champion for this, and we were there to uh, provide the assist because it takes a legislative effort to do this. And so we were pleased to help champion the bill, to get it through the House and the Senate in a timely fashion – uh, but but I echo uh, Treasure Sprague's uh, comments. It, it it really is an emotional journey when you go meet moms and dads, and learn that in one instance the uh, lady that testified she was thousands of dollars short of being able to complete an adoption. I mean mm-hmm. there are loving children in need of loving homes. And to remove the financial barriers to this process is well worth it. And certainly, the adoption process isn't easy as as it is Mm -hmm. set. So we certainly can always work on improving the adoption process, but we shouldn't let financial barriers get in the way. So
0: explain how this works and and what specifically uh, the Family Forward Program uh, offers for potential adoptive families. Sure. Uh, What
2: they do is they they go, if they want to take out a loan, uh, they can go to their local lending institution. Uh, They take out that loan and they contact the treasurer's office. And we can reduce their interest rate uh, by up to 3% for that loan and up to $50,000. So it's a huge benefit. Um, uh, Instead of explaining all the details behind the scenes, let's just say that the treasurer's office works with the bank's behind the scenes and we take care of that and make sure they give that interest rate reduction to the family. So you're able
0: to uh, lower the the loan rate. Why why not go one step further and make it a make it a grant? I mean, one of the things that one of the selling points of this, you talk about the fact that there are record numbers of uh, kids that are uh, going into the foster care system and I know ultimately the goal of foster care is to reunite families, but that's not always possible and then that burden becomes, you know, a state expenditure. So why Why not go one step further and take those funds and grant it to these potential uh, adoptive families?
2: Uh, I think I think that's a great idea. And there are state credits, state tax credits, refundable state tax credits, and federal uh, tax credits um, that families can apply for. And one of the things that they do is there's obviously a mismatch between the time of adoption and all the expenses that are incurred, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know having to wait a year or a year and a half or almost two years to get the tax credit. And that's sometimes where that bridge loan can come in. We can make sure that, obviously, the costs are lowered for that and they can pay with those credits.
3: Chris, I, listen, I think I think uh, process matters, and I think I, I would hope that my colleagues in the legislature uh, don't stop at this effort, because even though we're trying to take down financial barriers, if we can streamline the adoption process a little bit better, it will reduce costs overall. I mean, you have attorney's fees and, and all the paperwork that one has to go through. And everyone's heart is bigger than uh, than than the process. So people mm. want to go through the process, but I would I would like to work with my colleagues in the legislature, and there are uh, colleagues who are introducing bills to help streamline the process to, to reduce that cost so it this sh- it shouldn't be i mean quite frankly fifty thousand dollars <throat> it could be priceless our love mm. for children is priceless but there is a cost associated with this but if we can reduce that cost down certainly helps everybody
0: so this is so you don't view this necessarily as a solution but uh, merely a step
3: a very helpful so. step i mean we I, I would not want a loving child in need of a loving family to not be connected because of a financial barrier And the state and uh, the treasurer's office has has helped to solve that issue and what i think in the future is what other ways can we be creative and offer solutions to reduce the cost of an of, of an adoption process and, and most importantly without without losing the importance of checks and balances to make sure that there's a good fit the kids are right. safe all the things that you need sure. to properly go through so yeah. there's no uh, misuse or abuse in the adoption process yeah uh
0: now as, as far as the uh, family forward program uh are there limitations as to what the uh, loan can be used for in the adoption process, or is it pretty much all-encompassing?
2: Yeah, the limitations are simply all those things that you typically would associate with an adoption. It might be um, home visitation expenses, uh, legal fees, um, adoption uh, expenses from the adoption agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so though all of those type of things are covered. And we've made it correspond to the existing tax credit program to make sure that all of those things that are reimbursable by the tax credit are
0: also something that you can qualify for in the Family Forward Program so with a loan. Kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, are, are there limitations? Asked maybe the same question another way. Are there, are there limitations? Is this limited to strictly U.S. adoptions, Ohio adoptions, international adoptions?
2: Yep. The only requirement is that you're an Ohio family, okay. number one. And number two, uh, that uh, you either have uh, a home visitation for an adoption or that you have something signed by uh, the department in order to allow you to do a foster care adoption.
0: I would imagine that, again, as we mentioned, uh, foster care, the number of uh, kids uh, that are becoming wards of the state are just at astronomical levels, and uh, we've seen it here locally, we've seen it across the state. I would imagine that those who are involved in child welfare within the state uh, were very much on board uh, on yeah, this.
3: Yes, we had a, a pretty broad range, uh, Treasure Sprague, we had a, we had a, a wonderful r- range of supporters From financial institutions to the foster care, job and family services, we had a broad base of support for this. And, uh, you know, in in the future, as we kind of deal with these policies, you know, to kind of bring this in perspective, sadly, the death rate has outpaced the birth rate. In the state of Ohio, so when we think about <clears throat> increasing our population outside of having everyone create another baby-booming generation, <laughs> is is how do we how do we uh, build families? Continue to allow families to build families and create more Ohioans here. Uh, you know, uh, uh, widen our tax base, have more people love to live here, learn here, prosper here, and uh, the foundation starts at home, and that starts with a loving home to welcome those loving children in need
0: you bring up a, a good point that report that we had uh, not all that long ago about right. the uh, population shrinking uh, in the state of ohio right. an interesting way of looking at that from uh, from that perspective this was actually something that uh, a measure that passed what uh, back in the uh, spring did it not the original bill
3: yeah so uh, this- it ha- yes it kind of dates my uh, it, it was a, a little uh, ways back because covid uh, kind of gets in the way of remembering <laughs> things but but we had um Pretty strong success uh, in the House and Senate. The governor signed the bill pretty quickly soon after, and and uh, and Treasurer Sprague then had to take the legislation signed and, and get it into operation.
0: I was going to say, so a lot of things have been going on behind the scenes uh, from the time that this bill was passed back in what I think it was May uh, to now when you're actually rolling it out.
2: Absolutely. There's been a lot of work in order to get this up and running and make sure that we've got the, all the software and the processes. <laughs> so we can, it's now but this, open. But and this is available now. It's available now. All the, the families need to do is they can either contact their local lending institution or they can go to www.ohiotreasure.gov familyforward and find information on our website or feel free to call the office and talk to me or someone in our
0: office. We'd be happy to help you. The launch of Ohio's Family Forward program in conjunction with National Adoption Month. State Treasurer Robert Sprague, Representative John Cross, thank you both for taking thank the you. time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Our uh, conversation yesterday with uh, those individuals in the studio is good to catch up. And we've got the link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Well, we've talked about the numbers. They are just staggering. Last year, more than 93,000 people died of a drug overdose. Opioid deaths, accounting for nearly 75% of those. That's a 28% increase from the prior year. And 41 out of 50 states, including Ohio, report at least a 10% increase. Joining us this morning is addiction medicine research physician, Dr. Matthew Torrington. What should people know uh, about the state of overdose and addiction in America? I mean, we mention the numbers, uh, which will catch some people by surprise. Is this something that we are, are guilty of sort of overlooking in the midst of uh, everything else that's been going on over the past year?
4: I mean, I think in one respect, when you think about the number of people who are suffering, yes, we're not giving it enough attention. But in another respect, we are doing our best to try and deal with this on some level. And I think that what people really don't know is that there's a tremendous number of fake pills out there in the environment. These are pills that look like regular opioids that you might get from the pharmacy, but they're powered by fentanyl analogs, carfentanil, remifentanil, and fentanyl And these drugs are so ridiculously powerful that it's basically impossible to dilute them enough to make them safe in these in these fake pills. And that people are taking fake pills, thinking they're real, and they're having unintentional overdose.
0: Is that one of the, the most common myths? I mean, you know, there's a lot of misperceptions about uh, opioid addiction and overdose and, and who is being victimized, what an addict looks like, uh, all of that. That still is very prevalent today.
4: Yeah, I mean there's a lot of mis and disinformation, but the you know, the most important things are for people to know that A, never take a pill that didn't come from the pharmacy with your name on it because it could be fake, it could kill you. B there are things you can do for people who are suffering from opioid use disorder or who are at risk for overdose, which is namely there are safe antidotes that we can keep around, like naloxone. And naloxone is life-saving to someone who is in the middle of an overdose. Um, and that's, that's a really big deal.
0: Obviously, naloxone is, of course, the frontline treatment, if you will, for someone who has OD'd uh, in the moment, in the throes of an overdose. And that is critical, of course. But that doesn't fix the underlying problem that leads to the overdose in the first place. When it comes to addiction treatment, and this is a big question— Is it truly effective because it seems relapse is so common kind of makes one wonder if we really know how to treat this long term and is that treatment different or should it be different for the intentional abuser, for lack of a better term, as compared to the individual who is taking what they think is a legitimate medication for a legitimate purpose only to find out that they have unintentionally become dependent.
4: I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I would start by just saying that we know that treatment for addiction works. And if people get access to comprehensive, individualized, multimodal treatment for addiction, it's just as successful as treatment for diabetes or high blood pressure. And that um, doctors uh, are learning more and more about how to treat these illnesses. And that if you ask for help, you're likely to get it. And that treatment um, is improving all the time. And we're really doing a lot to try and help people who are asking for help. So that's one thing. Another thing is, is that, you know, most people are suffering in silence. And because um, there's so much stigma and guilt and shame associated with addiction, that people don't ask for help. Um, and, that, and that we really need to try and be more supportive and understanding of people who are suffering with these problems uh, to encourage them to ask for help and then support them as they, as they try and get that help. Um, you know and then also, for people who are at risk um, for people who are taking opioids, whether they're licit or illicit, um having antidotes around in the case of um, in the case of misadventure, um, has the potential to be life-saving.
0: and that's really the the message uh, again, overcoming that stigma that stereotypical uh, image we have of uh, opioid abuse uh, is the user of street heroin, um, and not so much still, even though, you know, we've talked about this time and time again, uh, throughout the, the throes of, of this epidemic, we still have that, uh, misperception of, you know, and not being, you know, the people who, uh, have, like we said, gone down that rabbit hole from, uh, legally prescribed, uh, medication. So again, overcoming that stigma being a very uh, important part of this.
4: Absolutely. And humans are susceptible to concentrated opiates, concentrated stimulants, prolonged exposure to alcohol, concentrated sweets. These All of these things are bad yeah. for us and that we have trouble withstanding them and taking great care of ourselves. And we just need... More attention and more help to do
0: better those are uh, those are good analogies uh you know you can kind of uh, draw that uh, correlation again dr matthew torrington is an addiction medicine research physician where do people go to get uh additional information uh on uh treatments that are available again frontline treatments and then where to go next
4: so there's great information at the um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, www.samhsa.gov. S-A-M-H-S-A.gov. There's really good information at the National Institute of Drug Abuse website, and you can also look for doctors who are board certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine, which is the newest medical specialty. Um, there are special doctors who just deal with these kinds of problems and. Um, you know, if you ask for help, it's likely to be successful.
0: So important to uh, reach out and ask for help. And we have those resources linked up at our webpage. Dr. Torrington, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Have a great
0: day. now to our ongoing keeping the faith series this morning you ask any mom about her experience during the past 18 months and you will likely get an earful about the impact of the pandemic and that's because moms have most often been the ones taking on the lion's share of the extra workload as round the clock family caregiver remote teacher remote worker it has not been an easy road for moms, Now we can talk about how dads need to pitch in and do their fair share too, we don't want to be sexist, but there has been a definite rise in the number of moms who feel isolated under the stress of the pandemic on top of the pursuit of being perfect in the eyes of what our culture perceives perfection to be as a parent. Fortunately, the new book Don't Mom Alone offers Christian support. Correspondent John Clemens
5: reports this morning keeping the faith. Podcast host and mom of four boys, Heather McFadden, has the experience of helping moms to learn to support others on their motherhood journey.
6: So I had been publishing podcasts for about five years, and one of my listeners had the genius idea of taking the episodes and creating a podcast club where she would use the content as a jumping off point for conversations in her small group. And to promote other people starting their own podcast, we use the hashtag Don't Mom Alone. So instead of just listening to the show on your own to invite moms into relationship and use my show as oh, it's an excuse to get together.
5: After five years of publishing or a podcast, McFadden decided to write the book Don't Mom Alone.
6: I learned the hard way that trying to be a mom on my own, isolated from the people God had put in my life, it led me to an anxiety attack and getting counseling. It was not an enjoyable experience. And I want to help moms not end up where I ended up. I am very passionate to help moms push past kind of isolating ideas they hold to be reminded of the truth of who they are and how God sees them and to connect them to others who are willing to support them if they let them.
5: McPaddy now understands that each mom comes from a different perspective.
6: Every mom has her own brand and I think taking a trip to Mexico and meeting teen moms in really hard situations and seeing that they were good moms because they provided love and care and presence with their children, that it helped me recognize how many formulas I think I need to follow to be this idealistic mom that's completely unachievable and to really boil it down to the simplistic presence, love, and care that God gives us.
5: Don't Mom Alone will help the reader understand there is no expectation to do everything right all the time.
6: The moms who hear for the first time they don't have to be perfect that this good mom formula doesn't exist, that she breathes a sigh of relief. I also think as believers, it's again this reminder that if we were perfect, we wouldn't need a Savior. If God only needed us to be perfect to raise these children, we wouldn't have to lean on Him. So it's really important what moms do, not because they're perfect, but because they are present, loving, and caring.
5: Readers of Don't Mom Alone will have a better understanding of the difference of isolation from solitude
6: isolation is different from solitude. Solitude, I had to choose to meet with God to have Him remind me of my true identity in Him. And once I deal with some of the false beliefs I've been holding and I realign my identity with how He sees me, I'm free to then see other moms and not feel threatened by their differences, not feel like I have to be like her because God's already told me who I am. He's already shown me who my kids are and why he's given me those kids.
5: Understanding those differences led McFadden to discover a gift of what her husband, Bruce, likes to do.
6: I have really leaned into the fact that my values differ from another mom of mine who may value cleanliness. I value creativity. And so my house will be chaotic and the dishes may not be done. I've also found that I've leaned into my husband's giftings and he loves doing the laundry. And I had to release this ideal that only the mom does the laundry. And, so, and he, he loves doing it. He does it really well and he has involved our boys into folding it.
5: Don't Mom Alone will help the reader understand motherhood is the most fulfilling yet exhausting
6: job in the world. So I would lean into, instead of this picture perfect Pinterest version of motherhood, What are your values? What are your interests? And trust that you don't have to be just like that other mom who um, values everything being in its place perfectly.
5: McFadden has a prayer for what readers will take away from the book, Don't Mom Alone.
6: My hope and prayer with this book is that it'll be a starting point where she can recognize truth, where she can be invited into community that can walk alongside her, because I won't know every issue or struggle she's gonna go through. But if she can invite a mentor into her life, if she can allow friends to come alongside her and be vulnerable in that safe community, and if she can trust God with the outcome of her kids, she is going to be so much freer and happier as a mom.
5: Here's how to get in touch with Heather McFadden, author of the book, Don't Mom Alone
6: my website is don'tmomalone.com and there's a link there to the podcast And the book is at don'tmomalone.com forward slash book
5: this is john clements
0: reporting i love that turn of phrase don't mom alone we've got the link up to the website for more information about the podcast and the book goodmornings.net keeping the faith
3: we interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert
5: Today's
0: update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Man in Queens, New York he is facing charges for pretending his stolen car had a seven-year-old boy inside in order to make finding his vehicle a higher priority. <laughs> I've seen this on like TV shows uh, before, but I've never uh, heard this actually happening in real life. James Reyes, age 32, allegedly reported that the special needs child was inside his red Ford Mustang when it was stolen at around 6.45 p.m. on Sunday. Apparently, his thinking was this would expedite the police response. The uh, Mustang and the 17-year-old car thief were found about four hours later, about a half a mile from where the vehicle was reported stolen. Uh, Mr. Reyes was charged with filing a false police report because when they found the car, there was no child, and he had to own up to the fact that there never was a child that was kidnapped in the car. So that's the thing. I mean, you're going to do something like this. You should know that you're eventually going to get caught. When they, when they find your car and the kid isn't inside like you reported, they're going to figure out something is amiss. That's just not too bright. Uh, but anyway, I guess he did get his car back, so there is that. Elsewhere in the broken news, this from the International File in Wales... A customer by the name of Darren Davies uh, placed an order for a barbecue pizza from Pizza Hut. Yes, they have Pizza Huts in uh, merry old England. Uh, I, I did not know that. It was, well, this is from Wales. So Darren Davies uh, orders a barbecue pizza from Pizza Hut. He was furious to find when it was delivered. It was actually someone else's leftovers. <laughs> uh, he got the... Uh, he got the pizza, and when he opened it up, it was basically someone else's doggy bag. According to the news report, the box included all kinds of random slices of pizza. There was a chicken, there was a vegetarian, there was <laughs> just all kind of random leftovers. The company says they have reached out to the customer to apologize and ensure he receives a full refund, and they also thank him for bringing the matter to their attention. So... Somebody at the uh, pizza shop is in big trouble there. By the way, speaking of the international file, President Joe Biden making the broken news this morning for a greeting he got when he arrived in Scotland. Uh, He was uh, in he was in uh, Europe for the United Nations Climate Change Summit. And uh, on Tuesday, as he was traveling from Edinburgh to Glasgow for the summit, apparently a large naked man decided to snap photos of the president driving by. (laughs) (laughs) A large naked man is how it was described. Although the exact location of this incident is unknown, a White House report shared that the incident occurred somewhere somewhere Between Edinburgh and uh, uh, Glasgow, at one point, uh, this is uh, according to a a White House spokesperson, a report in Newsweek. At one point, when we were still on the smaller country roads, a large naked Scottish man stood in his front window, (laughs) taking a picture of the motorcade with his phone. (laughs) Well, you know, he wasn't a danger to the president. I mean, he didn't have any place to hide a weapon, so. (laughs) Well, that must have been uh, quite a sight. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. And how about this? A postscript from the Halloween festivities. And this is kind of a viral video story. This morning in the Broken News, a hilarious apology from a trick-or-treater who just couldn't help himself when staring down at a bowl of unguarded Reese's Peanut Butter Cups has gone viral, has resulted in even more offers of free candy for this young man. Uh, Kayla Lawless of uh, Berlin, Connecticut, uh, won the Halloween sweepstakes with this. uh, With this, she decided to give her trick-or-treaters king size candy bars not just the little bite size not even the full size but the king size candy bars now she says she normally doesn't put out candy of that size but in light of what everyone went through during the pandemic she says that kids have definitely earned a jumbo size treat for handling 2020 and 2021 like champs so she decided to go big even more her trust runs pretty deep since she had the aforementioned candy in an unguarded bowl outside her home with only her ring doorbell to catch those hoping for a five finger discount or, you know, more than they taking more than their fair share. Well, when 14 year old Dominic Carello happened across the mountain of king size candy bars during his trick or treat adventure, he was overcome by excitement and greed <laughs> he exclaims before acknowledging the video camera is probably recording. He says, "I apologize in advance." He tells the camera, "I I apologize in advance, but I've got to take two. I just can't resist. I love Reeses, and so I apologize in advance." <laughs> Ms. Lalas was uh, charmed. Was so charmed by the teen's honesty that she shared the video online, where it quickly became a viral sensation. She said had she been home, she would have gladly uh, told the uh, kid to, to take two. But uh, she said she will be meeting up with her hilarious trick-or-treater later this month and will hook him up with even more of his favorite candies. Also, uh, according to this young man's mom, other people have also reached out with offers to hook her son up with even more candy. So... <laughs> I guess the moral of the story is that it, it pays to apologize. That's little honesty. Own up to it. You will be rewarded in this case. There you go. Uh, that is the broken news this morning. This update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
7: Did you know that a donation of only $1 can provide up to six meals for a family? I'm Tommy Harner, CEO of West Ohio Food Bank, and with your support, we can bring food to areas in need. Fresh and nutritious food like fresh fruits and vegetables, dairy, and protein. As we team up with our partner agencies, we are working harder than ever at our mission of ending hunger together. If you'd like to volunteer, donate, or host a food drive, contact us through our website at wofb.org.
2: This message provided by WFIN.
0: I'm now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Remember, a lot was made of the fact that children's screen time doubled during the pandemic, and they are cooped up with not a lot else to do. And unfortunately, it appears it has not gone down since. According to new research in the University of California, San Francisco, Uh, find that uh, youngsters are spending almost eight hours a day looking at their smartphones, tablets, and televisions compared to less than four hours a day pre-COVID. So doubled, and then some. Concerningly, this figure does not include the time spent on computers for schoolwork. So this is just leisure time, eight hours a day. Researchers focused completely on recreational activities like playing video games, chatting on social media, texting, surfing the internet, and watching or streaming movies and TV shows. It says, along with contributing to a more sedentary lifestyle, which is always a concern, study authors say this shift is also affecting the mental health of many adolescents. Bottom line for parents to take away from this research, we need to redouble our efforts To make our kids get off the couch, put down their devices, get outdoors. I know it's harder when the weather turns cooler, but maybe go out, have a snowball fight when the weather turns cold or go sledding or whatever. But anything to get them off their screens eight hours a day. That is really alarming. Sarah Sisser joins us now this morning. Talk about uh, things going on in the month of November at the Hancock Historical Museum. Hard to believe we're into November already. Uh, holiday season right around the corner. you got a couple of uh, big holiday events to talk about here uh, in just a bit. But first things 1st To get to uh, the November events. Brown Bag Lunch is uh, coming up tomorrow morning.
7: That's right. So um, as always, our monthly Brown Bag Lecture is the first Thursday of the month. And this month, I'm really excited about this one. We have Dr. Andrew Hirschberger with us. He's a professor of contemporary art history at BGSU, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit about uh, the history of women photographers. He really has a Mm. specialty in researching um, the history of photography, Um, his credentials. It's it's too long to list, but um, really a a specialist in that kind of history. So I look forward to hearing more from him, and I think it'll be a great lecture. As always, it's at noon. Um, We ask you to arrive a little bit early, Mm. as we usually have a good crowd, and um, just to get a good seat. And we look forward to to seeing people uh, tomorrow. The history of women
0: photographers, kind of Specifically interesting. Specifically women. And yeah. uh, this, I, I one of those things that maybe a lot of folks probably don't think about, but this is, uh, like many professions, something that uh, for women, it was tough to, to break into. And-
7: right, absolutely. And Dr. Hirschberger I know, is really a scholar of Ansel Adams in particular. Mm, love um, his stuff. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of us do. Um, so iconic. But this will be a a little bit different angle looking at um, how women came into the profession.
0: Interesting stuff. Uh, So uh, put that on the calendar for tomorrow. And then later on in the month, uh, another uh, classic movie night. And one of the things that I love about classic movie night is sometimes you get films that everybody is familiar with. Maybe you've seen a hundred times. And then others that. Maybe a little bit more even, obscure. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. I like this one, I've never even heard of this title.
7: Well, I have to admit, I haven't either. And I'm fortunate in that I have, my father actually um, helps to do this program each month <laughs> along with our curator, uh, Joy Bennett. They have a great time doing this. And I know they have a great time selecting the movie. So I have no doubt that it's a wonderful film, but I also have not seen this one. Okay. So November 19th, um, our classic movie nights are always free and open to the public. They start at 7 p.m. We have refreshments available. Um, the movie this month is Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. So I know the film um, late 1950s but I don't know too much more about it.
0: So. <laughs> I guess we will all find <laughs> You'll out have
7: together to come and see, uh, and and we'll probably find
0: out why that was uh, chosen. Because part of the uh, event is you have a discussion about the historical significance, right? Uh,
7: and the, that's my favorite part. It's yeah. extremely informative. So both Joy uh, and Jerry do a lot of research the month leading up to it, so mm-hmm. they're able to tell you the historical context surrounding the film, right? A little bit more about the actors involved, and then kind of a
0: discussion about the way. Life in America is uh, portrayed in some of these films, which uh, right. often is very different than it is today.
7: Right. And they're so reflective of the time period, right. whatever that time period happens to be. So I've learned a lot from the films, and I'm sure this one will be no different. So yeah. again, late
0: 1950s. Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. It says here, Robert Mitchum, Deborah Kerr. So yeah, yeah you can't go wrong Good with cast. that. So. That's right. Uh And that is uh, on the 19th of November. And then we look ahead to the holiday season, going to be here before you know it. And you have a couple of uh, things going on specifically for the Christmas season. Uh,
7: You've got an open house. We do. So our annual Christmas open house will be uh, Saturday evening, December 4th from 5 to 8 p.m., and then um, Sunday, December 5th from 1 to 4 uh, p.m. And we encourage people to come out. We have activities for children and families. Um, get into the holiday spirit. We'll have, I'm sure, some cookies yeah, and- Have and the and place lunch.
0: all decked out we and do. all yeah. that, It's so. just a great way to start the
7: holiday fun. season. Um, and also this year, we're doing things a little bit different. Of course, many people are familiar with our Victorian Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that for more than 25 years. Um, this year, taking a slightly different approach to that event- Still the same committee planning the event, and they're a wonderful group of volunteers that really see to every detail Mm -hmm. of the dinner. This year, we're going to be in the historic Davis House, uh, which is on the campus of the Hancock Historical Museum. It was moved to our campus um, from where Birchhaven Village is now, so many people might remember seeing that old farmhouse out there um, in the past. That is one of the oldest farmhouses in Hancock County. It was built in 1843, and the Davis family has a real legacy in our community, Um, So we'll be talking a little bit more about that. We were able to beautifully um, rehab this building, uh, still some of the historical details, but also modernized many aspects of it. We finished that project in 2018. So it's a beautiful facility, and we look forward to inviting people to come in and have a four-course meal in the house. Um, But rather than focus on the Victorian time period, we're really going to take a closer look at the 1840s and a little bit more primitive time um, in our local history. We'll be looking at some of the different aspects of how the holidays might have been celebrated at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, A delicious meal, of course, and again, a great way to get into the holiday spirit. Many people have made the Victorian Christmas dinner an annual tradition, and this one will be no different.
0: It's uh, like a step back in time. It absolutely uh, is. In many respects. And uh, kind of of neat, was this this, uh, just the idea of... Uh, doing it because of the historical significance of this house and because you have it on the campus? Or um, was it we want to do something different? Yeah, I think something a little
7: bit different. Of course, last year, we weren't able to hold the Victorian dinner for the first time in more than 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so it made us kind of think a little bit differently about our holiday programming. And so um, the wonderful ladies that helped to plan this event were on board with doing things a little bit different as well. So I'm looking forward uh, to to the dinner. And I always say that the Victorian Christmas dinner and I I know this one will be the same is really an experience it's not mm-hmm. just a dinner and um, there right. are just so many unique details about the event we'll have some musical entertainment throughout the evening there are carolers that welcome you to the <laughs> home so it's just a lovely That will lovely be a lot thing. of fun.
0: Now uh, folks will need to get uh, tickets in advance for that.
7: That's correct and Typically, the dinner sells out every year. I know this will as well. Um, and space is quite limited. So we do need you to make your reservations soon if you're interested. Um, and there is an early bird pricing special. So reservations are $85 for members of the museum, $100 for non-members of the museum until November 15th. And then the pricing changes a little bit. So okay. get your reservations in now if you like. Um, and the dates for that dinner are Friday, December 10th. Uh, and Saturday, December 11th.
0: Okay. So one of the reasons why we want to start talking about that now is because you want to get your reservations in sooner rather than later. And by the way, speaking of the discount for members with the holiday season right around the corner, I'll drop this bug again. (laughs) We do it every year. Memberships make a great stocking stuffer.
7: They absolutely do. Memberships uh, range in price from $30 uh, for individuals all the way up. um, And it's It is a great gift, I think, to give somebody. Maybe you're not sure what to give them. Mm -hmm. Um, We have wonderful discounts throughout the year on our programming. Of course, you get free admission to the museum. There are other perks involved with being a member. And we're a privately funded nonprofit organization, so our members really help us. To keep the doors open and keep programming going. Yeah, uh,
0: preserving the history of uh, Hancock County. What a history it is! One of these days, I'm going to have to get you to tell me the story of uh, moving that house to the campus. How yes, absolutely, one it is quite a saga. Moving a historic yeah. <laughs> house to the campus—that uh, must have been quite the undertaking. I
7: will tell you, it was cut into four pieces. That's
0: <laughs> really interesting. Uh, that one of these times we're going to do we're going to talk about that uh, again. The uh, Brown Bag Lunch is uh, tomorrow, the uh, uh, classic movie night, November 19th, and then uh, the uh, open house and the uh, Christmas dinner coming up next month but we start talking about it now And sarah sisser with us from the hancock historical museum thanks very much thank you chris and that will put a wrap on our podcast for today thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program and remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. that of course goodmornings.net coming up tomorrow as a long-standing driver shortage in the trucking industry is making current supply chain issues even worse A number of issues are coming to a head that could exacerbate the problem even further. We'll get an insider's look from Sherry Garner-Brunbaugh, head of Garner Trucking and now the immediate past president of the American Truckers Association. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.